Hello and welcome to Connected, a podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hi, I'm Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And joining us in the room is Hattie Brett. How are you doing, Hattie? Hi, good, thank you. Nice to be here. Hattie is the editor of Grazia UK. So, welcome Hattie. Now, you did a degree uh, in history at Oxford, as, as did I. There you go. Practically twins. Yeah. Um, and, but you went from that to editing one of the UK's most influential and excellent magazines. How did that happen? How yeah. did you do that? I suppose the most obvious but the truest answer to that is that it's what I've always wanted to oh. do. Um, wow. I've always loved magazines and I've always loved women's media particularly and the power that that can have. As my mum proved recently, she cleared out her loft and brought round 50 copies of Elle from the 90s in the days that Fiona McIntosh was editing I hope it. you kept them. Yeah, I have, <laughs> of course, stealing some ideas from them. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it's always been something that I've wanted to do and I feel so uh, proud and privileged to be in the position I'm in today as a result. Um, But if you're asking what advice I give people when they're starting out in media, I thought a little bit about that and I thought about... Uh, my first day at Grazia, ironically, as editorial assistant, I was the, the uh, most junior person in the office. I just graduated from doing a postgrad in magazine journalism at Cardiff. Mm. It was 2006. It was the height of kind of the World Cup WAG's first time round. I was probably wearing some sort of jangly skirt, thanks to that boho movement that's best left forgotten. Um, and I piped up somewhat naively and precociously, perhaps, in my first meeting. I really think that Grazia should start a Facebook page. Mm. women in their 30s don't have time for Facebook was the answer that I received without the slightest trace of irony Um, but cut to kind of 18 months later and they sat me in a room with three German developers and asked me to come up with the strategy for what would go on to be Grazia Daily our first website um, and give me my first taste I suppose at creativity and responsibility Um, and I went on to be assistant editor of the brand across print and digital then I launched the debrief which was Bauer's um, first digital only launch and then I went to the Telegraph where I've been for the last few years before Mm -hmm. coming back to Grazia as editor Mm -hmm. and when I think back to that kind of first day and that first conversation what do I think about that today, Mm. I guess, other than the fact that superiors don't always know better, which is always a good lesson to remember. I think it's about um, having tons of ideas and enthusiasm Mm. because ideas are still the lifeblood of our industry, I believe. And um, it's about saying yes to everything and anything that comes your way within reason, probably. Um, But especially to the things that scare you, I think. And it's about putting yourself in a position where you need to keep learning because for me that's what makes going to work fun and Mm. a challenge. No day is the same in our industry and there's always something new to learn and um, something new to navigate. So you were were very focused even when you were at uni did you do journalism when you were at uni no so I did my postgrad um at Cardiff student journalism Um, journalism. yes I did student journalism um and I think that really helps though personally I don't know if you did at Oxford I (laughs) um I I was I was on a a short-lived but um uh official Oxford University magazine called Ours News which a couple of uh people in my college had set up and got funding from the university for that that was set up in, in rivalry to the very established kind of um, oh good for you uh, magazines well it didn't last <laughs> we'll have to dig it out I had to uh, I had to uh, go up and down the high street and sell advertising for it so that might have been my first <laughs> encounter of advertising sales but um, yeah what did you do 
I did some work for the Charwell in my first Which year. Which is the proper magazine. Um, <laughs> well, I remember um, the editor at the time, I can't remember his name, but I'm assuming it was a man. He uh, called me up and said I was at St. Hugh's College and they had had a break-in and I had to go um, and figure out what had happened. Investigative journalism. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was my first experience at you know, being given a story and being mm. told you've got 500 words and you need to file it. Cool. Um, but it was exciting and yeah. um, uh, invigorating. Yeah, and then you went and did a master's. Yeah. And then got went it straight, got a great job by the sound of it. Yeah. yeah, so I had worked in magazines for a year before I went to university. I'd taken a gap year yeah. and um, rather than go traveling, I decided that I would work in that industry. So I worked um, at Eve, which was a women's monthly, yeah. um, which was my first kind of taster at women's mm. media. So, yes, it's always something I've wanted mm. to do. Oh, interesting. Um, what skill have you had to work on that has brought you the most success? Um, I think we're probably all guilty, perhaps women especially, at trying to live our lives at a thousand miles an hour and trying to juggle everything mm. and never stopping for fear of dropping the ball. I know I certainly am. Mm. So I think probably the skill I've had to learn is to take some time out sometimes and to stop doing, doing, doing and to have time to reflect and uh, think about what's worked, what hasn't, why it hasn't and have some time to think about the big picture. Um, someone recently um, in a management course I went on called it helicopter time and it's a phrase I think I'm stealing because mm. mm. um, it's that sense of being solo and mm. up in the air looking down. Mm. Um, and so now I really try to build into my week some time when I can just be on my own and think whether that's walking to work and not being plugged into a podcast, mm. forgive me for saying that, but we're so quick, aren't we, to fill our yeah. ears and our yep. um, yeah. eyes with everything. So taking some time out for that or just sitting in prep for an hour before I go into the office mm. sometimes is a really valuable hour and training my brain to not think of that as a waste of time, but actually mm. constructive time. I, I, I think that's the most constructive time of the week, actually. Um, as, as you've already said, you started out at Grazia and then you went away and then you came back again. So yes. how has the magazine changed during that time? Yeah, so I've come full circle, um, which is great, actually. And it's a brand I love and uh, really respect and um, feel such affinity with. So I feel lucky to be there. I think it was obviously six. It's been six years since I uh, last worked at Grazia when I started as editor. Years, yeah. yeah, a lot's changed. And I think when I started to really think about, wow, how do you take such a game changing, innovative brand and move it forward into a new era? What really struck me was that actually so many of the conversations that we had tried to prove at launch and had to really fight to prove um, today are not just accepted, but actually are celebrated. So, you know, you've got careerist women such as Michelle Obama who have a, a voice and use their platform to affect change, but they're also unashamedly stylish and open about the fact that what they wear gives them a confidence to do the job that they do better. And I think something like fashion has become a really legitimate force in the UK. So the V&A putting on McQueen and Dior retrospectives and those selling out shows that, I think. And, you know, I've talked about it on a personal level, but I think we're in this 24-7 always-on culture. And for our woman, who's in a, a pressurised decade where home life and career life 
uh, colliding, mm. I think really needs and looks to brands that help curate content for her mm. and um, save her time and make her life easier. And I think that's what we try to do as a brand. So I think in certain ways, society's changed, but our audience hasn't changed. But obviously, as you say, other things, seismic, political and economic changes have happened. And so one of the first things I did was commission a piece of research into 18 to 24 year olds, ABC One uh, women in the UK, not just our audience, but um, that audience itself, and to ask how they're feeling about some of those changes and think about how we needed to adapt the brand accordingly. And that was really interesting. Some of the um, some of the things that came out were actually quite sad and quite scary, but some were very positive, such as, you know, a third of them are talking about politics more than they ever have done before, but um, over half of them say that they don't feel represented by any political party, mm. which is why we've started doing a lot more political reporting, mm. um, and we've introduced a new page, a regular page, where we ask female MPs to talk about what they're doing in Parliament to actually affect change for our readers. Which is really important. It's so it? important. Because it's so easy to feel disengaged from it. Um, it's very hard to think who you might want to vote for and it's yeah. easy therefore to lean back, but we've got to lean forward. And I actually think, you know, we're in a slight doomsday in terms of political reporting, but mm. there are really brilliant, smart, spirited women in mm. Parliament who are trying to make a difference and who are yeah. um, really trying to represent um, their well all of their constituents but their female constituents particularly and so it's been really great I think to be able to give them a platform to talk about the work that they're trying to do outside of mm. Brexit mm. and to show you know our audience that there are people on their side and also that they can do that themselves mm. because we need more uh, women in politics. Yeah. So Tell us about the, the debrief what what did you learn when you launched it and uh, what would you do differently now if you could have your time again? The debrief was honestly so fun. <laughs> it was so fun. And I think you really um, got a sense of how much fun and energy and excitement there was in the room and the content. And I'm really proud of that. Um, and I think part of the reason it was so fun is because we had a brilliant team of young um, journalists who all really believed in the mission and what we were trying to do, which was to give a platform to young women who at that point we felt were misrepresented and much maligned in traditional mainstream media. So to give them a platform and a voice on the issues that matter to them and also to properly um, pay and remunerate, shock horror, uh, journalists, uh, young journalists to write for us and to give them a chance to build their profile mm. and become discovered. And when I look back at that now, that's one of the things I feel um, so excited by is that yeah. some of the debriefers, well, all of them, but, you know, Emma Gannon, Pandora Sykes, Vicky mm. Spratt, they've gone on to do such incredible things and Vicky Spratt's changed the law. And that's, um, that's I think, really taught me about the power of having an mm. agenda setting, um, brilliant creative team. Sounds very punk. You know, yeah. People not represented, starting your own thing, yeah. representing the youth. I love it. It was fun. It was fun. It was lots of kind of late nights and uh, pizza boxes. And um, sounds great. No, no, you know, no subject was a taboo, and yeah, we yeah. we had quite a lot of funny conversations. So it was fun. I love it. What's next? <laughs> What's next? Um, 
Well, I think I've been at Grazia eight, 18 months now, which I can't believe it's flown by. Um, and I'm really proud of some of the issues that we've tackled and, um, you know, keeping circulation outperforming the market in a tough market. Digital growth's up We're 300. We're very proud of our glass wall column. Yes, that we, we do loved for that. you. Just a little yeah. blog for that. It was great. And I mean, that helped. Our digital content's up 300% year it's, on year. That's probably why, isn't it? Yeah, probably, definitely. Yeah. They're all coming <laughs> to that column. Um, so, you know, I'm really proud of what we've done. But I think for me, it's, I'm just getting started, yeah. really. And I am particularly now thinking about um, how we can make a physical difference to our readers' lives. I think Grazia has always been brilliant at campaigning mm -hmm. and in uh, 2014 I wasn't there so I can't take credit for it sadly uh, they launched the mind the pay gap campaign mm -hmm. which obviously changed the law in terms yeah. of getting that legislation passed that meant businesses had to be transparent about their gender pay and at the moment we're working on a big where's your head at campaign across Bauer but Grazi is leading the charge on that to again ask the government to make employers treat physical and mental health with parity and uh, so I'm really interested in what are the issues that are really troubling and worrying our readers at the moment. And we've gone out and asked them about that. And how can we therefore um, help bring national attention um, and affect change on those issues? So watch this space. Very interesting. Now on to the regular questions we ask all of our guests. So what mm. is your favorite line from a poem, song or book? I kind of love this because it's a bit like Desert Island Disc, isn't it? That everyone really kind of plays in their head, don't they? Um, so the one that immediately came to mind for me was from a Janis Joplin song, uh, Me and Bobby McGee. And my parents are real music nuts. And I spent my childhood holidays with that song blaring out. And when it came to the chorus and the opening line, we would all start singing it together. And the line is, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Um, and today still that's kind of the song I put on when I need that slight pet me up feel good okay let's do this let's get motivated Brilliant. love that <coughs> right my favorite question if you were a genie what five commonly available objects would I put in my magic circle to summon you yeah I think I'm going to be really boring for this Sue I'm <laughs> sorry um Mine would be a bathtub, uh, some Joe Malone lime and basil bath oil. I love a bath. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Some pyjamas and a good book and maybe a glass of wine as well and to shut the door and make sure my two little kids and no one bothers me. Very nice. So we've never had one before that's, that's just scene. one scene. Yeah, no. But, uh, Sorry. No, that, no, works. that works. So assuming all living things from your house are safe, what three objects would you go in to go and save? So I think here I would go into a full-on sort of mum recovery emergency mode and I would grab some uh, jumbo pack of raisins, a sticker book and my two-year-old's slightly snotty, a bit gross comfort blanket because if you were going to sit on the pavement and watch your house burn down, at least do it with kids that aren't whining and starving. Yes. Very practical there. If you could change the industry in one way right now, what would, what would you do? So perhaps this is wishful thinking, but I would like us to be more positive and mm. more collaborative. And I think there are obviously serious challenges facing everyone in publishing right now. Mm. But I believe, um, glass half full, uh, that you know audiences will always want great content, content that they trust, content that speaks to them. 
And so the industry is actually safe. We've just got to work out how we deliver that content and actually working together to solve those problems would be more constructive, I think, than working in our silos. So I'm kind of interested in something like Britbox's launch and seeing how, whether there are lessons that publishing houses can learn from ITV and BBC coming together. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. If we we were to give you a billboard, where would you put it and what would it say? I think it would say uh, women's issues aren't just women's issues. And I would put it on the North Circular or somewhere else that had similarly standstill traffic. Um, So (laughs) most people saw it. And, you know, I've experienced the sexism that's often... um, flung at women's media throughout my career and I think we it's very dangerous and we've got a great piece in this week's issue by um, Emma Barnett from Newsnight about the fact that actually when so-called women's issues are pigeonholed Mm -hmm. and uh, we patronize women we're all losing Mm -hmm. and that's a very dangerous place to be. Hattie, the the final question, which is from this box, it's from the 100 questions. This is the conversation when we've been doing the careers one, but we finished those questions. If you could, uh, it's when you cannot prepare prepare for. for. I know, this is exciting. If you could pick one, read it out, and then answer it to finish us off, please. Have you ever travelled on your own? This is a good question, isn't it? Because I feel like that's a very seminal discovery, moment of discovery about yourself. So I haven't traveled on my own, I must confess, but I have um, my most similar experience, I suppose, is I went to university in America for a year. um, And I think that was a real learning process when you live in a different country for the first Mm -hmm. time. And I remember going to buy washing powder of all things and standing in the aisles and kind of looking for Purcell or Ariel and not seeing any of it and really not feeling quite out of my depth because you were in a place that supposedly spoke your language and uh, that you should feel quite safe in and actually realizing that there was so much to learn about somewhere. Fabulous. Hattie Brett, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That was fun. (laughs) 